welcoming everybody to another edition of the Heat Ratio Sports Spotlight. Today, where we like to profile people in and outside the sports industry. And today, I am being joined by a special guest, Alexa Ross at Alexa Ross TV, sports anchor for News 8 WROC out of Rochester, New York, Temple grad. She covers the Bills. She's a jaded Eagles fan, like she says on her Twitter account, which I love. Alexa, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It has been a fun season that I'm happy we actually got in this year. Because there was a lot of questions before. What were we going to do? And it's been so weird. And the funny thing is, just to see fans completely empty and hear the cadence so clear, if you're actually being able to be accessed to the stadium, just a completely different scene, something we're not used to. But the Buffalo Bills have been the darlings of the NFL. Okay, we we get the Kansas City Chiefs. We hear about them all the time. But the Buffalo Bills, when they hire Sean McDermott, who is a Philly guy, uh, learned it on her Andy Reid. He was went to Carolina, learned on the Ron Rivera. Uh, you know, certain guys you say are defensive coordinators or offensive coordinators. They maybe not fit to run a team. And I honestly thought that that's what Sean was going to be. But he has proved me wrong. And I know you've only been covering the team for two years, but in those two years, what he's been able to do because they were very important years that you've been covering the team. What has he done to be able to push this team in a positive direction? It's all about the culture. I mean, when you look at the Bills of last year and the Bills of the year before and the Bills of the Sean McDermott era, you know they have a great defense. We all know that. We knew that a great defense was coming from Sean McDermott's team. That was not a question. But it was when the offense started to click. It was building the culture that was, we want to be great, and we can get to being great if we add the great pieces. And general manager Brandon Bean has done a great job of that. I think the biggest example of that is Stefan Diggs. I think that they really leveled up when they traded their first round pick to Minnesota for Stefan. And I was just as skeptical as everybody else about Diggs and his personality and the things that I had heard and things I had seen and my friends who work and cover that organization said. But I think Deion Dawkins said it best in his Players Tribune article today. We were confused and we said, you know, if he's going to be a diva, he can be alone on Diva Island because that's not what we do here. But if he's cool, it's cool. But he's been more than cool. He's been one of the best teammates I've ever had. And I think that when you have a veteran in your wide receiver room with a young quarterback and some younger receivers that you're trying to build, but then you have a guy like Cole Beasley, who has been in the slot forever and has done great things in Dallas. And then you have John Brown and you have him kind of complete the package as a deep threat. It goes to show that anything is really possible, especially with the way that Stefan embraced the organization. He's become a leader. He's become such a vocal advocate for Buffalo. He has become Josh Allen's right-hand man, number one fan, all of that. And I think that that doesn't happen if he doesn't walk into a place that embraces him and wants him to be the best version of himself. And it doesn't always work out with the teams that you're at, but I think every guy that comes to Buffalo does become the best version of themselves. I think whether that is talking to a coach or whether it's being thrown in as a backup non-starter, making sure that you can get your stuff done. We saw a lot of that against Miami. They still put up 56 points. They outscored Miami's starters, the backups, 28 to 20. This team's the real deal. Everyone wants to win. And I think that comes from the fact that that culture of greatness and that culture of we can get there, we just need to be patient, was instilled by Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean, et cetera. 
You're absolutely right. A lot of things there. When you talk about culture, we've seen Sean McDermott learn from guys like Rivera. He has guys like Leslie Frazier, uh, Andy Reid. And and you make a great point about how this roster was constructed because I look at, you know, 2018, 2019, and I look at what they did, and you mentioned it, just a wide receiving core. You bring in the perfect complement. I was skeptical about Stephon Diggs. Our first-round pick, I'm like, wow, that's a lot of draft capital for a guy who we're really not sure about. 127 catches. I mean, the best receiver in the NFL. And then you bring in Cole Beasley, John Brown. Then you draft Gabriel Davis, Isaiah McKenzie, two quick guys. And then you have dual tight ends with Tyler Croft and Dawson Knox. And then you you draft Zach Moss to compliment Devin Singletary. So this all revolves around Josh Allen. And one of the things around Josh Allen was his accuracy. What have you seen just in one year? Because it's unbelievable change from his mechanics and his accuracy from last year to this year in Josh you know, I wish we could have seen more of the offseason that Josh Allen had because I'm convinced that he spent 23 out of 24 hours a day on the field with a receiver, with a coach, with literally anyone throwing to whatever he could to make sure he could perfect his deep ball. It's even harder because there was no preseason. He did not have the time to click with digs to build that relationship with Gabriel Davis. We have deep threats now, and that has been really cool to watch and develop, but even more than that, his confidence has skyrocketed. Josh Allen haters will always be Josh Allen haters just because the nature of Josh Allen haters. I tweeted this on Sunday when it happened. He's the first quarterback in the history of the NFL ever to have in a season more than 4,500 yards, 35 passing touchdowns and five rushing touchdowns. Wow. Ever. Only quarterback ever to do that. And people are still like, eh, fine. Like, no, he's what he has done and the way Brian Dable has been able to build around his confidence has been second to none. And you can't talk about this bill season without that offensive light switch on because the defense was always going to be great. The defense in the beginning struggled and it was the offense that was winning these games and it was the offense that was producing. And then after the bye, everything clicked. And that was when if for the people who were playing pretender or contender at home, the Bills really became a contender. And now as we finish out the season and you watch what the Bills backups did to the Miami starters in a must-win game, in a division game, to sweep the AFC East for the first time in franchise history, to become a part of that conversation, I think the sky's the limit for this team. And I think that it's very possible that they see Kansas City again in the AFC Championship game. And that first Kansas City game was a winnable game. Patrick Mahomes didn't throw the ball. They ran more than they threw. It was close. It wasn't high scoring. I think the next game's a shootout. And I think that if the defense causes chaos, that they can get it done. And I think that they can earn that Super Bowl bid. I like it. And I was going to ask you how far you think they can go because silver lining to this is no more Patriots, which I love. Sorry, I have to say it. Uh, my preseason pick for the AFC was the Buffalo Bills. Everybody thought I was crazy because a lot of things had to fall into place. But I think they can get that Super Bowl bid. I, I do. You make a great point. Even though everybody says Kansas City is untouchable, they're really not. If you look at it, at least 50% of their games this year, they have stumbled a bit. They haven't been able to move the ball with ease that we expect them to do. And this defense 
for the Buffalo Bills. I, I want to ask you why it just doesn't get enough credit. There's unsung heroes on this defense. Guys like Matt Milano and Josh Norman, another guy who we thought was dead on an island. Comes up with teams with Tredavious White, and they form a tremendous secondary. So why do you think this defense doesn't get enough credit? I think this defense has always been kind of stagnant. Just like, oh, yeah, they're a good defense. But let's not pick apart the pieces. The pieces that have been picked apart in the past are Tremaine Edmonds and Trey White. Both are McBean additions both drafted by them, two-time Pro Bowlers now with their second bids this year. But Matt Milano was hurt most of the year. So he's taken out of the conversation because of that. We don't talk about him because he's in and out with a pec injury starting week four. He comes back, he's taking the most snaps he's taken, even when he was healthy pre-injury. You have Josh Norman who gets stiff-armed into space by Derrick Henry against the Titans. And then gets COVID and people are like, eh, is he going to play? Because the battle for that second quarterback spot was basically dependent on who was healthy. It was Levi Wallace and Josh Norman rotating through the secondary because nobody knew who was going to be healthy at the time. And we've seen it. I mean, if one's on the injury report, the other is off. It's really interesting to see kind of how they've balanced that. But then you have Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer who have not moved at all. And the thing about Micah Hyde is he's huge. Micah Hyde is a big, big guy. If you look at the picture of the Hale Murray in Arizona, the three guys that go up for it, Trey White, who is short, DeAndre Hopkins, who is massive. Micah Hyde's the only one who comes close, but Micah Hyde, he explained it like going up for an ill-timed rebound in basketball. He didn't get the quick enough start, but it doesn't matter because DeAndre Hopkins' hands are the size of the football. Like it doesn't matter. DeAndre Hopkins catches that ball, but we still have to try. And we did try. But that's where things kind of turned on for them. And they didn't have defensive identity in the beginning. They were kind of still trying to figure it out, especially with so many moving pieces and so many different parts. But I think the Hill Murray is really when they woke up. When you have a guy who is a freakish specimen of a human being going up for that ball, it will always come down with him. And that's not your fault. And when you kind of get over that hump and realize like, oh, you know what? We just have to create chaos. You saw it against the Seahawks. Russ got sacked. I think that's the most sacks he's had all season. The most times they've, you know, penetrated their offensive line. Causing interceptions. They've just become a team that if points go up, it's fine because they can cause turnovers and they can just kind of create havoc for a quarterback. You touched on so many things about homegrown talent as well. And a lot of things that fall off the mat for many NFL teams because you get to this point by getting cheap but talented players and you align them with some free agency moves and trades like the Stephon Diggs and Nicole Beasley and, and John Brown. One thing I'm not too familiar with is their offensive line. I've studied a team, but obviously Josh Allen he helps any kind of deficiency because he is mobile, but I feel like that offensive line doesn't get enough credit as well because I've watched games where Josh Allen has had like all day to throw the ball. Cutting highlights for this team is fun because when Josh Allen drops back, I can't even cut a highlight from the beginning when he takes the snap because he'll be in the pocket for like six and a half to 10 seconds. And it's insane. But the offensive line has been really, really interesting this year because you have your left tackle who just got paid, Deion Dawkins, a Temple grad, who I love and cherish, and I think he's one of the greatest people who's ever lived. He has been an anchor for him, but he's also been here the entire time that Josh has been here. So the two of them, they, they get it. Dion has made it his personal mission to make sure that nothing happens to Josh. 
Under center, you have Mitch Morse, former Kansas City center. He has learned how to deal with that, as you know, Andy Reid offensive lines always do. And then you have Don Feliciano, who was out for a little bit, but kind of came back. Cody Ford, who they drafted, who's kind of come into his own. He moved to left guard actually this year. And I think that that's been a really good landing spot for him. And the right side has kind of moved around with new people like Daryl Williams. He came from Carolina. The Carolina to Buffalo pipeline is strong as you probably would imagine with Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. But Daryl Williams was brought into Deion Dawkins's home the first day he got there, just kind of to build that camaraderie and stuff because this offensive line didn't really change all that much this offseason. It only changed because of John Feliciano's injury. So they kind of had to build their backups and kind of get them in the right spot. And McDermott and Dable have shuffled them around. They have moved these guys around and they've done different combinations of their five up front. And it's honestly worked. It doesn't really matter where people are. As long as Dion's on the left side, they're fine. And I know that they care a lot and they have really made it a point to not just protect Josh, but also to give Zach Moss and Devin Singletary the time that they need to run because of how explosive both of those two guys are. One thing that you said, and it just hits home to me, is there's obviously there's a lot of Andy Reid in this team. There's a lot of Sean McDermott. And I think about back with the Philly connection, when you had John Runyon and Trey Thomas for so many years. And, and we know Andy Reid would say all the time, you build within the trenches. And this is playoff football is you win with your defensive and offensive line and your running game. And that's one thing that the Buffalo Bills have. You, you mentioned a lot of names. I mean, give the Michael Orr effect, right? The left tackle, the blind side, you know, kind of like the movie. I mean, that is your favorite person when you're a quarterback. Well, parlay this into the NFC because at the end of this interview, I'm going to get your Super Bowl prediction. Obviously, I know the Bills are going to be in there but you're a philadelphia native you see what's been going on for the philadelphia eagles and i love to see because you cover the bills i know you still i follow you on twitter we go back and forth i know you're very invested in what the eagles do and just as a whole what has kind of been your thought process of this entire year with all the dysfunctional things that have happened within this eagles organization it's not it's got to start at the top we cannot blame the players for the problems that the front office has created i don't think that it is fair to blame carson for his own benching and demise. When you cannot build your offensive line at all, you have 40-something-year-old Jason Peters playing left tackle who should have retired like eight years ago. Jason Kelsey is the only functional part of that offense right now, and he's going to retire, as seen by photos of him post-game with Zach Ertz and Carson Wentz after Sunday night. But... I don't think drafting Jalen Rager was the problem. I think he's a good receiver. He got hurt, and that's not his fault, but he couldn't kind of come into his own. Howie did nothing in the offseason to help his offense at all. He did not build up his offensive line. You don't even need to get a Stephon Diggs-level receiver. You just need to get a receiver who can move. You don't need to re-sign Deshaun Jackson. I understand what Deshaun Jackson did for the franchise, but he does not need to be playing football anymore. He doesn't. He has been hurt for more time than he's been playing during his time as an Eagle. They need to essentially eat everyone's cap space at this point. Like they just need to eat everyone's contracts because there's no reason that these people need to stay. Nobody needs to stick around. I don't think Doug's to blame about that either. You work with what you're given. And when what you're given is bad, it doesn't help you. Does that mean I think that Doug needs to stay and keep play calling ability? No, I think they need to hire a real offensive coordinator. The last time the Eagles really knew what they were doing on offense was when Frank Reich was calling the plays. And now Frank Reich is a 
about to play in the playoffs against the Bills. So for me, when I look at this team, I just see so much dysfunction that nobody wants to blame what's happening up top. Everyone wants to just be like, it's Carson's fault. And it's not. It's not Carson Wentz's fault. It's not Carson Wentz's fault that he's getting hit all the time and has no confidence at all because he can't throw the ball and that they won't play Zach Hurts when he comes back from being injured and he takes away the people who he feels comfortable with so of course he's not going to perform well half of this game is psychological look at Nelson Aguilar in Las Vegas look at what he's doing he is the prime example of football is mental it's just as mental as it is physical and I think that the Eagles psyche got absolutely crushed this year and nobody talks about the defense being fine you know they're fine they're fine but fine isn't good enough when you win a Super Bowl a couple years ago because now everyone says what they did was lightning in a bottle and maybe it was but i don't think that they're as far off as they think that they could be if correct changes are made you saw it in the sixers organization daryl morey fixed five years of mistakes in 24 hours truly when you change who's making your decisions things change and i don't know why jeffrey Lurie is holding so tightly to howard roseman great point so there's three things right there and i'm going to ask you go on your last one first because I don't understand how Howie Roseman keeps his job. I don't, for exactly what you said. You look at the drafts. 2017, they have one guy left. One guy, Derek Barnett. We don't even know if he's going to stay. An entire draft wasted. And that wasn't just Joe Douglas. Joe Douglas is gone. This is Howie Roseman. Howie Roseman has one pro bowler his entire tenure. So it doesn't make any sense. The only thing that makes sense to me is I mentioned this last night, is I feel like there was a huge comfort level between Jeffrey Lurie and Andy Reid. And when they let Andy go, I think Jeff finally decided to step outside his comfort zone, goes with the shiny new toy in Chip Kelly, brings him in, and then goes against his gut and gives him all power. And it blew up in his face. And ever since that, he said, you know what? I'm never doing that again. I'm going to be tight to the hip and keep everybody close to my pockets and guys that I can trust. And I think that's why Doug Peterson became the next head coach and why Howie Roseman is moving on. So let me ask you this. You know, you mentioned Doug Peterson, and I'm going to get to Carson once in a minute. The only problem I have with Doug is I, I understand you're saying so work with what he's given. But look at Brian Flores at Miami. And I bring it up because last year, they basically stripped that team of everything. And even though they didn't have a winning season, he had those guys fired up every single week. He did completely different things on the offensive side, specialties, defense, had those guys believing and competing. So when you watch a team go out and just flounder and kind of look like they've quit, I, I don't understand how you don't put that on the head coach. I mean, I want to believe that Doug is a good head coach. I do. I really do want to believe that. I don't think Doug gets canned until they hire an offensive coordinator and they see if it's what's wrong and kind of can dissect it from there. I think that Doug Peterson is a Super Bowl winning coach and you do not fire your Super Bowl winning coach without evaluating every possible option because you know how this organization is. It's nostalgic. That's why Deshaun Jackson has a job. I don't think he gets canned. I also don't think he does what he did last night if there's no guarantee that his job is safe because no coach wants to lose a game on purpose. No player wants to lose a game on purpose. Players were pissed. Do I blame them? No. Am I glad they lost? Absolutely. They need that number six pick, but I see why they're pissed off, why they're mad that Doug said, you know what, let's put in Nate, let's put him in. I think they were banking on that game being a blowout. I think they were banking on Washington just blowing it out. So that way when Nate came in 
and they were losing by a lot, it would be fine. But they weren't. It was closer than what they expected. And so instead of keeping Jalen in, who wasn't playing that well, by the way, he had 20 plays with three picks. So we don't need to keep him in at that point. But it was close. So I do understand that. Jeffrey Lurie had to have told Doug, you can do what you need to do because your job is safe. And I think they need to go out and look for an offensive coordinator before they decide to fire Doug Peterson. Because the rift between Carson and Doug and not knowing who was calling plays and Doug saying that he turned over play calling ability when he hadn't and Carson not knowing who was calling his plays. That's unacceptable. And that relationship, I don't think can be repaired because of how badly it was fractured. And this offseason is going to be make or break for this franchise because we can either fall into mediocrity like the Giants for the last four years, or we can bounce back. And we might have the pieces to bounce back, but we might not. And it's going to come all the way from the top. You made a good point because you think about, and I hate to bring them up, but kind of like what the Dallas Cowboys did with Jason Garrett was, you know, let's give play calling ability to Kellen Moore and, and see what's going to happen and it worked and Jason Carrick got gained right so at the end of the day I completely agree with you 100% that this relationship cannot be repaired you already see it there's a reason why you've seen three guys and you alluded to it earlier with Zach Ertz and Jason Kelsey and Carson Wentz on the field they were saying their goodbyes they knew this was the last time they would be together they knew this you know i don't blame carson i say all the time it's like oh he should just stick it out listen he got paid a hundred million dollars to be the franchise quarterback he hasn't even had a chance to try to repair himself so why would he want to be jalen hurts's backup i would think less of him if he said you know what, I'll just stay and be the backup. I like that he's a competitor and he wants to start, and I like that Jalen Hurts wants to start. So let me ask you this, just crystal ball. We put it down, Alexa looks into the ball and says to herself, we're going to go through this whole season. Who is your starting quarterback for the Eagles week one in 2021? I think it's Jalen Hurts, unfortunately. And I hated the Jalen Hurts pick. I was I did so. curious. I was like, you can get him in three rounds. Don't draft him right now. Get yep. what you need. And guess what they didn't do? Get what they need. And you know why that's a problem? Insert this entire season here. I think Jalen Hurts is the starting quarterback. I think Carson Wentz reunites with Frank Reich in Indy. I think Philip Rivers probably retires to be with his 75 children. I think that Zach Ertz requests a trade to Chicago. He goes to the land of tight ends so he can also be near his wife because that's another thing. His wife is a professional soccer player who lives halfway across the country. And, you know, you make sacrifices when you're a, when you're two athletes together. And you see it with a lot of the women on the U.S. women's national team and their NFL husbands. They are separate. And now they have a chance to be together, and I don't blame them. And I think Jason Kelsey retires because there's absolutely no reason why he needs to keep playing. He recognizes it's his time. And I think that he's also probably, frankly, really pissed off and wants to end and get out and be done and take his mummer's moment and just have that and, you know, be his baby. Another thing is about Jason Kelsey, and you know this as well as I do, people may not realize, but he wanted to retire before this season, and they talked him out of retirement. So to think that he played this year on one arm, and he gave it his all. He's a warrior. He goes down with guys like Brent Selleck and Brian Dawkins. I mean, he embodies the Philadelphia Eagles culture. And the one thing I will say is the Doug decision, no matter what way we think about it, because I still think if Nate Softfield was going to play, he should have played in the first quarter or the second quarter. It was just a bad coaching decision, in my opinion, for Doug, because the domino effect is going to be guys like Jason Kelsey, who were absolutely pissed. Guys like Jalen Hurts, who you already destroyed his confidence. Free agents, coaches, 
other players around the league that looking at the situation saying, do I really want to be a part of that? So uh, last thing I want to ask you about Carson Wentz, and we, we already talked about the relationship, and we both kind of agree that they cannot be repaired. But can the player himself, from what you see, because I've never, I, I bring up Blake Bortles, I hate to say it, but I, that's the last quarterback I've seen to actually have such a horrific season after throwing 30-plus touchdowns and going to the AFC Championship game. Do you think Carson can be fixed? And if so, where's your prediction on where he may land? I do think it's Indianapolis. I think that he has a lot of comfortability with Frank Reich. I don't know how much longer Philip Rivers is going to play because he's been playing for forever. And maybe he plays past the season. Maybe he doesn't. I have no idea. But I think that he goes to a team like Indy. I think he goes to a team that is also kind of rebuilding and re-understanding themselves too because the Eagles are now at the bottom of that list. They are now at the bottom of we need to fix it. I think, and a lot of people have asked me this question, what if he goes to New England? I don't think he does because I think Bill Belichick needs a fresh-faced, no-name quarterback to build into his own person, which is why I don't think that he drafts a Justin Fields or anybody up that high because these guys have kind of already established their identities as quarterbacks. Whereas his best ever pick was 199 overall, who became his guy for 20 years. So you also saw the Cam Newton experiment fail. So I think they go the draft route instead of the, we're going to move someone around. Indy's really the place that makes sense. And I think that he's comfortable with Frank Reich. Frank Reich knows what he can do. He has running backs who can take it off for him. Jonathan Taylor has been a formidable force in this league. He doesn't look like a rookie at all. And then you have, you know, T.Y. Hilton, Naheem Hines. I think they're probably going to add another wide receiver to complement T.Y. Hilton. And they're going to rise in the ranks of a very competitive AFC. And I think he can compete in the AFC. I think he could, honestly, I know they paid Jimmy Garoppolo. I think he could go to the Niners. I think the 49ers is a very valid place to go. I think that it's very possible that they eat his contract too, because I think they really went too quickly in making that decision. Can you imagine? Kyle Shanahan is an offensive genius. He really is. And I love Shanahan because for years he wrote the coattails of his dad. It was like, you know what? He's just Mike's kid. He can't go. This dude's phenomenal. He yeah. really is. I think Jimmy Garoppolo, they only get hit with like a $2.5 million cap hit if they release okay. him. Yeah, right? it's not bad. that's chump change and I think Nick Mullins has proved that he's a very serviceable backup and he is not going to be anything other than a backup I think Jimmy Garoppolo is in like the lower tier of starting quarterbacks I do think he's a starting quarterback and I think that's why it worked for him in San Fran because of how good Kyle Shanahan is at his job and what he had around him I think Carson Wentz needs an offense like that I think he needs he needs a tight end it doesn't matter where he goes he needs a tight end he could go to Chicago and do really well too. Tight end central. And you know, Carson's big and physical. He likes his receivers to be big and physical. Like, so that's why Zach Ertz is his favorite. I would love to see that reunion in Chicago because the Bears have been, I mean, you know, the Bears are the best defense in football and the offense has always struggled. And Nick Foles tried to save it and it didn't work. And Mitch Trubisky is a bust. And they need to make a decision. And I don't think that they're going to draft another quarterback because they no. draft how poorly it went with Mitch Trubisky. Yeah, do not let Ryan Pace draft another quarterback, please. Uh, no, that's if Ryan right? Pace wants to trade for a quarterback, I think that's fine. I think because he has acquired some really great talent from other teams. I think that he can bargain and move things well. I don't think he knows how to make a good decision. Top three, not in this order. Indianapolis, okay. San Fran, Chicago. I like that. I love the Indianapolis experiment. I just think that... 
it just seems too good to be true, right? It's just like yeah. that. It's too good. To, I mean, it would be perfect, uh, but I just think Chicago, you, if you, if Zach Ertz gets traded to Chicago, and then you have Nick Foles as a backup, and Carson is the starter, right? I mean, think about that. You, you give them Al Robinson. They have a, a nice song. If Anthony Miller can ever get his crap together, and you know Darnell Mooney's actually proven to be serviceable. David Montgomery, one of the best running backs the last five weeks of the season, finally, oh, yeah. right? They get Tariq Cohen back. That team, and like you said, great defense. Uh, listen, the sky's the limit. They just need the arm, and maybe that could be Carson Wentz. Who knows? Could be. I mean, San Fran is an unfair thing to look at this season just because, like, their entire roster got hurt oh. very early on. And they're, them having a down year after a Super Bowl because of injury doesn't mean they're a bad team. I think that they are still – in a normal year, they're still fighting for this NFC team. It's going to be the Packers. And good for them. Good for Aaron Rodgers. Good for everything that's going on in Green Bay. I think that we can have a really fun Bills-Green Bay Super Bowl in the battle of cold weather teams. I like it. I, well, there you go. That was going to be the final question. Looking at that Alexa crystal ball again, what is going to be the Super Bowl? Are you saying we're seeing the Green Bay-Buffalo Super Bowl? I'm going to – we can lock it in now. Buffalo obviously is going to win, right? We got to say Buffalo wins. I don't want to jinx anything. So, wait. Hold on. Aaron Rodgers, MVP? Probably. Yeah. yeah. I think Aaron Rodgers, he's having the best season of his career. And I think if he weren't, Josh Allen's the MVP without a question. I do think Sean McDermott wins Coach of the Year, though, with what they, with what he did. Really? I, I think he is definitely in that conversation and definitely can win. I think Josh Allen, if last week was included, I think Josh Allen wins. Like, in the voting, in the conversation, I think Josh Allen wins. I would have to say Kevin Stefanski has to be my Coach of the Year. McDermott. That's, that's a good choice. That's a good McDermott, choice. McDermott, number two. But I just, what he's done in Cleveland, yeah. <laughs> who would have thought, right? Who would have thought? I feel like I feel like Buffalo and Cleveland are both in this like everyone's like are we in the twilight zone why are these teams so good so I think that the two of them whoever wins they win for the same reason in that uh, they're doing things that have never been done before that's true it is 2020 right so well it's 2021 now so the teams were built in 2020 yeah. but, so things you never know Alexa thank you so much for joining us uh, this has been tremendous can't wait to get you on again and get some more insight so I know I opened up and let everybody know but you know explain everybody where they can find you and watch your segments on TV yeah so you can can follow me at Alexa Ross TV on Twitter for some Bills updates, things like that. Snarky Philadelphia commentary. We are officially in Sixers territory, so we'll have them having a lot of fun with them. Be sure to, you can see articles, things like that on RochesterFirst.com. Uh, reach out if you want and have any questions. And, yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It's been great. Again, a very appreciative, uh, a great 2021 year. And go Bills and go for the Eagles revitalization project in 2021. Alexa, thank you so much. Thank you.